This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You are listening to Front Office Features, and I am Rob Crane, where each week we have a discussion with a sports executive in an effort to take you behind the curtain to learn more about the inner workings of the business and provide insights to help start and grow your sports business career. Today, our guest on Front Office Features is the Chief Business Officer for LAFC, a gentleman named Larry Friedman. And Larry, he has a great uh, interview today, and one of the things that I took away from it is the way that he talks about what's the worst case scenario. If you take a job, what's the worst that can happen? Or in his case, going to law school, if you go out and you get your JD and you're out of law school and you don't get that sports uh, job that you are looking for, the worst that can happen is you're a personal injury lawyer or you're working on workers' comp. Are you comfortable with that? And in my situation, I remember I was just starting out in my career, and I was headed to Battle Creek, Michigan. I remember my mother saying, I said, Battle Creek, Michigan? She was all worried, and what if it doesn't work, and yada, yada, yada. And I said, Ma, what's the worst that could happen? I move back, I sleep at home, and I figure something else to do. And at the time, at 22, I was comfortable with that. And that was the worst case scenario. It doesn't work. I'll just move back. And I was comfortable at the time. Now I'm 37 years old, and I'm not sure I would be comfortable moving into mom's house anymore. But the thought process of worst case scenario, and are you comfortable with the worst case scenario? And I was going to Battle Creek, Michigan. If it didn't work, then I would just move back. And I think Larry was when he went to go get his uh, JD at UCLA, and it all ended up working out fine. But we were all comfortable with, well, if this doesn't go exactly the way that we were thinking about it, I'm still kind of comfortable with that. So uh, we talk about that at length. Uh, He also works very closely with uh, Peter Goober. You'll know Peter Goober. He is part owner of the Dodgers, part owner of the uh, Golden State Warriors. And uh, they talk about their very close relationship. We also get into some of his uh, investments in esports. And I just found it a very uh, intriguing conversation. I hope you do as well. And, um, you know, we're starting off here with front office features, and it's been great. So if you're listening and you're downloading, you're subscribing, uh, please share this podcast. Go to our social media feeds uh, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, um, look up on LinkedIn, myself, Rob Crane, and uh, my partner in this uh, endeavor, Chris Valente, and look us up. We'd love to connect with you. We've had a lot of people connect and want to connect with more folks, so please connect us via social. Share this podcast. Let's get a billion people listening to this thing, so I appreciate it and hope you enjoy our discussion with the Chief Business Officer of LAFC, Larry Friedman. All right, our guest today is Larry Friedman. Larry Friedman is the EVP and Chief Business Officer of LAFC. Larry and I have known each other for a few years, and Larry uh, actually uh, hired me uh, way back when, uh, when I was in Scranton. So, uh, Larry, uh, welcome to Front Office Features. It's a pleasure to have you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Ah, my pleasure, my pleasure. So you're a Boston University, BU, Go Terriers guy. Uh, and then you went to go get your JD out in lovely UCLA. Winters there are a tad different. Um, 
but you started your career in technology, you know, even being the VP of orbits. Uh, how did you end up in sports? Well, it's the age old adage about connections. I started off when I first got out of school working with a guy at a big law firm by the name of David Rome. And David ended up in sports television at huh. Fox Sports. And his path crossed with a guy by the name of Howie Newchow, who at the time was the president of Mandalay Baseball Properties. And Howie, of course, has since gone on to run all of sports at Creative Artists Agency, CAA. Um, but David connected me with Howie when Howie was looking for a guy uh, no to add to the team at Mandalay Baseball. They had had someone who handled legal and call it business affairs, deal-making stuff, and that guy moved on. Howie was looking to fill the role, and David connected me with him. And as they say, the rest is history, but it's... You know, I, I tell this to younger folks all the time. A lot of the best opportunities out there never find their way to teamwork online, never mm -hmm. end up on Monster or Indeed or wherever people are posting jobs now. Don't end up at a recruiting firm. It's just, you know, I call you, Rob, and I say, hey, I've known you a long time. I trust you. Do you, do you know anybody who might be right for this role? So... That's kind of how I ended up in sports. That's uh, and you were in technology for like a long time. You really started in technology, right? Yeah. After I left um, my glorious career at big law firms. Oh um, yeah, big law firms. I, yeah, I uh, I ended up in infrastructure software for a good chunk of time, and you know that's software not that you or I would find on our desktop or laptop but you know, software that big enterprises are using to manage their entire network across the globe. So at the time, I'll be dating myself, but um, we had customers like Chase Manhattan Bank, Norfolk Southern Railroad, you know, huge enterprises like that. Then ended up uh, doing some early internet stuff we started a B2B, an incubator for B2B e-commerce startups uh, back in mid-99, 2000. As you mentioned, I was on the launch team at the travel site Orbitz, did some other software stuff, some other travel technology stuff, and then, you know, just through connection, ended up in minor league baseball. It's incredible because Mandalay at the time, Mandalay was the premier ownership group. You guys probably own, Mandalay owned six or seven teams at once, right? Yes. I think at the height we had seven or eight and we were also actively involved in the new stadium rebranding and relaunch uh, in Winston-Salem when they moved into BB&T ballpark and you know, rebranded from the old Warthogs to the new Dash. Uh, that's the the power that Mandalay had in minor league baseball at the time was was incredible. Um, going back to a little bit about your decision to go get your JD at UCLA and go to law school. Do you think now how it do you, would you encourage people to go get their law degree? I feel like more and more people are, and it seems to be a real benefit uh, as they go through their uh, their careers. Do you think, do you agree with me, or do you think it's on a case-by-case -case basis or somewhere in between? Yeah, well, look, this is your show, so I would never <laughs> I would be right. But I think it's, it's very case-by-case, -case, and... The, the, the market for you know, legal jobs has changed dramatically in the several decades, I'm sad to admit, since 
I got out of law school. When I got out of law school, it was a time when big firms were expanding. So firms that were based in New York were expanding to Chicago, Dallas, San Francisco, LA. And, you know, the reverse was true. The LA firms were going to the Midwest and East. So it was a boom for the industry and firms were growing like weeds and there were just tons of jobs and they were pretty decent paying jobs. And what's happened is firms have contracted, jobs have become fewer and far between, and it's now hard or harder, even if you go to the better schools, you know, coming out of the Ivy League or, you know, schools like UC Berkeley or the University of Michigan, it's hard to find a job, even if you go to an upper tier school. So what I always tell younger folks who think about law school, I encourage them to think about how much they would like being a lawyer. Because historically, and the advice I always got was go to law school and then you can do anything. Look at all these people who went to law school who are doing other jobs have made other careers. And as time has gone on, I've flipped that around a little bit as advice, because the only thing you can't do if you don't go to law school is be a lawyer. So for me, the threshold question is Rob Crane, are you going to law school because you think it's going to be a path to something else? Or are you going to law school because you think you want to be a lawyer? And when it comes to answering the question about, do you think you want to be a lawyer? You need to think about not, hey, I'm going to be a sports lawyer or an entertainment lawyer, or I'm going to do massive transactions and it's going to be all this sexy work. You have to think about it in the downside scenario. What if I spend three years of my life and a quarter million dollars intuition fees books whatever to go to law school and after all of that investment of time and money the only job i can get is a forty-five thousand dollar a year job practicing law doing workers comp or personal bankruptcy will i be happy is that a career that will make me a happy person and that will reward me and fulfill me. And if the answer is no, I would say don't go to law school because I was fortunate. I got out of law school at a time where if you wanted to go to a big firm and get that kind of experience, you could do it. If you wanted to go to a smaller firm, you could do it. And the thing that my opinion about a law degree is, it's only worth something if you've actually spent somewhere between three, five, maybe seven years actually doing it. There are people who have a law degree, who've never practiced and will say, oh, I'm a lawyer, I have a law degree, but the reality is you're not. So I think it's a case by case analysis and decision because you can have a great career in the law there are people in all types of careers who started out in the law. And sure, you can draw this bizarre path for me, uh, which I often refer to as a drunken walk into sports. <laughs> and sure, it all begins with I went to UCLA, I got a law degree. You know, I practiced at a couple of big firms. I met David Rohn. David Rohn introduced me to Howie, right? Yeah. And it's also how I ended up getting into technology, software, the internet. But at the end of the day, school has become, especially grad school, right, has become so expensive that you really have to look at what that three-year commitment means in terms of opportunity cost and where you realistically will be on the other side of it. And, you know, look, it, it's, it's a good profession. You learn a lot of good skills. I would be lying if I said I don't use those skills every day because I certainly do. But um, it's a big decision. It's 
It should not be one of these decisions that people make where I don't know what to do, Rob, so I know what I'll do instead. I'll punt. I'll go to law school. I'll kick around for three years and then I'll figure it out. I think it's just too much of investment of time and money to not go into it with a long-term view of practicing the law and having a career doing just that. I think you, one of your great points was, all right, take the, you know, the worst case scenario that you're doing three hour, you're doing $45,000 a year for personal injury. Um, Are you going to be thrilled doing that? Because I remember actually doing the same thing and saying, all right, you're going to go sell tickets in Battle Creek, Michigan for $16,000 a year. Are you going to be happy? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm sure I can figure that out. That'll be fine. And uh, but if you got to be, you know, that's what happens in your uh, me. Uh, But I think the lowest though you 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 make a great comparison because yeah. it 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 is the same. Um, the good news about you know going to Battle Creek um, and selling tickets, or going to Beloit, Wisconsin, and selling tickets, or the Indiana Pacers, or the New Jersey Devils, or wherever, selling is selling, and Amen. if you're good at it, you can say, look. Um, selling tickets in baseball is too much of a grind. Maybe I should go try and sell something else. You know, the issue when you shift over from that to being a lawyer is you're going to go be a lawyer somewhere else. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right? Right. So uh, less of a transferable skill. You talk a little bit, uh, you talked to how you met Howie. One of the people that's probably, I would assume, been pretty influential in your career is uh, Peter Goober and, uh, you know, the owner of the uh, Warriors, the part owner of the uh, Dodgers, um, and then part owner of a lot of different, and LAFC and a part owner of a lot of different things. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Peter. How did you guys get introduced uh, from the outside? He seems extremely passionate about his sport, about sports, but also about business. uh, And, you know, Tell us a little bit more about your relationship and how that works. Sure. So the the good news about, well, let's start with the bad news. So I come to Mandalay Baseball. I moved from Chicago to L.A. to join Mandalay Baseball and work with Howie to try and expand the business, grow the business, diversify the business. And, you know, the bad news was for me that, Howie then, in short order, was presented with the opportunity to go to CAA, which was an opportunity he couldn't pass. It was life-changing, and he's gone on to become you know, a true titan in the business of sports. The good news was that it opened up for me more of a direct day-in, day-out relationship with Peter. And Peter is one of the most brilliant, dynamic, uh, entertaining, wonderful people that you'd ever meet. And so the opportunity to interact with him, learn from him, be mentored by him, um, you know, is priceless and has been career changing for me because he is so driven, so smart so creative and the way that he imparts his wisdom and teaches and guides people that are in his orbit is magical because I can't remember a time in going on close to 15 years with Peter where he's ever said, I am telling you what to do. Really? It's much more of an approach where he will say, here's what I think you ought to do. I think you ought to call Rob Crane, and then I want you to call you know, Tom Dixon in Lansing, and maybe you should also call you know, Branch Rickey at the PCL office and see what they think, and then come back and tell me what you think we ought to do. And so he has this incredible way of, you know, setting you on a path 
to come to your own conclusion, which more often than not will align with what he would have told you to do, but he doesn't want to do that because then, you know, then you're not learning, you're not getting better. Um, And so it's, it's just been an incredible learning experience for me that never stops because Peter is a perpetual motion machine, you know, <laughs> just in the time since we started working together, he's gotten into the NBA, esports, virtual reality, um, the Dodgers, MLS soccer, he's still making movies, he's still, you know, in uh, Dick Clark Productions he's involved in, you know, they do So You Think You Can Dance, the Golden Globes Awards, uh, American Music Awards, all kinds of things. So um, it's just that experience has been tremendous. You know, we all look for mentors, you know, no matter how old we are or how accomplished we think we are or what we're doing and what we've done in the past, um, you know, we're all looking for and we all benefit from having that person you can go to and seek counsel and advice and have a little roundtable discussion and just bounce ideas around with. And I, I don't know that there's anybody better than Peter at that. That's, uh, I have one Peter Goober story and you were in the room for this. Um, we were in, uh, the winter meetings and it was the year as we go into building a new ballpark in Scranton and it was ownership meetings and they're saying, how you doing? Yada, yada. And we were going over the numbers. And I just told, um, in the, in the meeting, I say, all right, guys, uh, we just sold this very cool partnership to red Robin. And every time the team gets a hit, uh, we're going to play the yum noise and then when we get 10 hits everyone's getting free hamburgers and i remember peter goes oh my god that's the greatest idea i've ever had and then like picks up his cell phone (laughs) calls the sponsorship guy in the golden uh with the warriors and goes guys we got to do this thing call red robin and they're gonna get hits i can only imagine what the other person on the phone is thinking be like what are you talking about but he is uh uh that was i laughed i still laugh about that uh Uh, about that meeting because uh, it was a lot of fun. I remember it. And look, and that's the beauty. You know, some people, and rightly so, might feel intimidated with Peter based on, you know, all of his experiences and accomplishments. But he's like that. He's open to other ideas. And when he gets excited about them, there's no stopping him. Absolutely no stopping. No, it was... was, um... It was uh, it was really fun, uh, and I, at the time, I'm not sure I really had an idea. I was a little naive. I was like, eh, it's part of the owner. Let's just go talk." Right. <laughs> I didn't really know who I was talking to, but uh... when uh, when my friend David Roan first called me to say, "Hey, my buddy Howie might have a role you'd be interested in." He introed it to me by saying, you know, he's in the minor league baseball business with these movie guys, you know, Peter Goober and Paul Schaefer. And, you know, the names meant nothing to me because I, you know, I love a movie just like anybody else, but I'm not deep into it. I told my my older son at the time, uh, who was a film buff. And, you know, it was one of those, oh, my God, Peter Goober, are you kidding me moments? <laughs> um, yeah, pretty wild. That is pretty wild. So also pretty wild is the other part, the other people who have been in your ownership group, one of them uh, being Magic Johnson, part of the Mandalay group and sure. uh, still part of the LAFC group and the Dodger group and everything. He seems like an amazing business person has just made an incredible career for himself post playing days. Um, what do you know? Uh, what can you tell us about magic and how he goes about his business and what makes magic so special? Oh man. Um, there's so many things that make him special. Uh, and at the core, my own interactions with him while 
they have been limited have been pretty awe-inspiring because here's a guy who has done it all and could be aloof and unapproachable. And while you might wish that he was more friendly and more approachable, you'd understand, right? Yeah. Because, you know, he can't go anywhere without being recognized and he's beloved and, you know, everybody wants to either take a picture, get an autograph or, you know, tell him a story about, oh, my God, you know, I remember when you won that championship and you played center because Kareem was out and whatever, whatever. And yet here's a guy who, whether it was at Fifth Third uh, Ballpark in Dayton or it's at Bank of California Stadium here with LAFC, who is so gracious and so friendly and so engaged in the moment when, you know, if it's a six-year-old kid or a 70-year-old woman who's just gushing over him, he's just, you know, he he's the kind of person who... You know, somewhere in there, I got to believe, recognizes how awesome his career's been, how fortunate he's been. And in some form or fashion, whether it's, you know, in that one-on-one moment with an individual or it's with a group of young kids, he's just doing whatever he can to pay it forward, um, which is beautiful. Um, I have vivid memories of being with him in Fifth Third Field, and we were down underneath by the locker rooms and the press conference room because he was doing a little media thing and we were walking down the hall and there was a tour coming around the corner and it was, um, you know, 28, nine-year-old kids and a couple of dads and they came around the corner. They stopped in their tracks. It's kind of like, wait a minute, is that... (laughs) That can't be. Wait a minute, it is. And then they all ran past them, high five and hugging, talking. It was beautiful. That's it was awesome. just beautiful. And you and I have both encountered people in our careers in sports who would have turned and walked the other way. Right. Right. Um, and so he's beautiful in that regard. And look, you you look at all of his accomplishments. Um both in a business context and with his own charitable foundation works in the community uh, since he left basketball. And he's one of the great entrepreneurs that you'd ever meet. And it's just a great story. I mean, he's been in you know, real estate and he had TGI Fridays and he had movie theaters and he had Starbucks. Um, You know, he's been an owner in sports. It's it's truly amazing what what he's accomplished off the court. It's incredible what you what you see. And people don't know about the Starbucks and the movie theaters and all the other stuff. It's way more than just I'll be part owner of a basketball team or, you know, the face of this. No, he's like in, he's into it. Yeah. hundred percent. So one of the, I was going through and one of the owners that uh, I saw as part of LAFC is uh, Will Farrell. I assume that you guys go to Catalina Island and recreate that Catalina wine mixer from stepbrothers all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not that, but you know, the, the, and I can say this about all the owners of LAFC, all of them, got involved and this is also part of you know a blueprint that peter has created over time through a variety of ventures is that the the ownership group is large but it's not large because it's a gimmick right it's not large because we want to have some boy band singer come out and do the national anthem a couple times a year and towed him out as an owner for an event here and there. Everybody involved in this is involved because they have passion about the project in some form or fashion, and whether that's a history and love of 
the game of global football, uh, or it's a love of Los Angeles and a desire to make the difference that a project like this can make in a city like Los Angeles, or all of the above. And for Will, Will is a huge soccer fan. Uh, his wife played college soccer. His boys all play club soccer. And, you know, I always tell people when he's not working, because he does work for a living, hmm. and he's not on holiday because his wife is from Sweden and they spend a month during the summer over there, when those two things aren't happening, he is at Bank of California Stadium in his seats, you know, going bananas because he loves it. And when he's out of town and can't make a game, it kills him. And so he's passionate about the sport. He loves what we've created in Los Angeles, the community we've built. We're committed to bringing joy to people and being a force for good in the world um, and doing good things uh, to help people who need some help. And so it's awesome. And, you know, he's someone who we have the ability to call upon when we need him. You know, if we need some help at an event, if we need some video, whatever, um, typically he's down for it, which That's is great. Awesome. That's awesome. And so you were there with LAFC from the, literally the ground up. Take me through some of the guiding principles of Bank of America Stadium, uh, LAFC in general. You talk a little bit, uh, you hinted at some of the philanthropic efforts that you guys are doing. Um, what, what are some of those guiding principles uh, that you find important uh, as you begin uh, a franchise's, you know, in the franchise's infancy? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's wild, and you're going through this a little bit as you're getting ready to build and open a new stadium and a new market, right? And you have that chance to sit back and look at the three other people in the room or the seven other people in the room and talk about what do we want to be? What do we want to stand for? And if we're dreaming the dream, once this all happens and we open the doors and the people come, what do we want it to be? And, you know, we set out to be very inclusive. We talked from the beginning about uniting the world city, Los Angeles, through the world's game, football. And I have to say football because our head coach, Bob Bradley, gets very, very upset with me. <laughs> don't when I use don't, the word soccer. Yeah, don't um, piss off the head coach. No, no. No. So, um, you know, that was the, the, you know, main idea was to use this platform to bring people together. And, and you know this from your career in places like Battle Creek and Scranton and Pawtucket and elsewhere that through what we do, we have an opportunity to, inc to create incredible experiences for people and to bring a little joy into their life. And also because of the platform and the profile of the team, we have an opportunity to be out in the community and be really good participants and citizens of our community. So we talked about bringing people together, being very inclusive, and we wanted to not only create these experiences that brought joy to people's lives, um, we talked about LAFC being soccer and more. And for people who were in the club, and when we say in the club, we mean everybody. It's our ardent supporters who sing, dance, chant all throughout a match. It's our casual fans. It's our owners. It's our players. It's the staff. It's everybody. We're all in the club, and we were building it together. And so we wanted to bring joy to people through experience and do good things in the community 
We set out uh, to build the club. We always said street by street, block by block, one by one, because we started in 14. We didn't open the doors until 18. We had a little bit of time to just engage in conversation with people and ask them what they wanted from a club. And we took that, those conversations to heart. And, you know, for example, we had some of our earliest supporters help us design parts of the stadium. So they feel ownership in that regard. Um, and we've tried to engage as much and as often as possible with everybody who's in the club, whether it's our corporate partners or ticket holders, owners, other stakeholders in the community. And, you know, we've been fortunate that now that we open the doors and we're actually doing this thing, we can see it, you know, whether it's through Make-A-Wish um, or other experiences that are really special for people. We've had some hospice folks come out, which is just incredible. Um, hospice folks? Yes. We had, a, we had a guy by the name of Matt Siner who was in hospice care, and they reached out to us and said, you know what he really wants to do? He wants to come to Bank of California Stadium and be there for an LAFC match. So Rob, his wife Casey, his mother came out, um, had a great, you know, players were going over before the match. We won the game late. Um, so it was, you know, very dramatic, happy ending. And our goalkeeper went over, gave Matt his jersey. Um, Will Farrell went over, gave him his scarf. Um, it was a magical experience. Um, you know, and unfortunately, the story ends the way hospice story ends. Um, but, you know, in the moment to see that we could have that kind of an impact on someone um, was incredible. That's awesome. And so, you know, and I, I, I explained this to my family and friends like, yeah, it, it is about LAFC going out on the field and playing games and hopefully winning games. But when you experience these other elements of what people like you and I do, Rob, you you get it that it's 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 about way, way, way more. Way and more. that's where you kind of get you get the reward, right? You yeah. you know, yeah. we all need to make a living, but honestly, we're not in the sports business because we think we're gonna make Bill Gates money, right? <laughs> uh, right. But what what you can get from it it, are these other rewards and fulfillment because you're out, um, you know, we do things, we sponsor and are very involved in a youth leadership program for some young kids. We convert ratty old basketball courts to futsal courts and make them safe places for kids to recreate after school and all kinds of other things. We do financial literacy with our naming rights partner, the Bank of California, because you can't take it for granted that young people in every school in a city like Los Angeles are learning about money. And if you have a dollar, what are your alternatives with the dollar? What can you do with it? And how should you handle it? And so, um, you know, I think those the 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 part about being inclusive everybody being welcome and really bringing joy and doing good is what it was all about from the beginning that's awesome that's awesome what you guys do from the community and when you went out for those first three or four years uh ahead of time it's amazing what you'll learn when you ask people what they want. Right. 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 And, and, and look, um, I grew up in an era where you could get away with asking people questions, pretending that you were listening, dismissing whatever they said and moving on. 
and people felt good just about having the opportunity to speak their mind. Those days are long, 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 long gone. People like to be heard, but they also want to see from time to time that what they have to say matters, right? And whether it's, hey, Rob, you know, it would really be great if you guys had soft serve ice cream in the ballpark to, you know, a little bit at the extreme for us when we were designing our stadium, our supporters made it very clear that what they wanted was safe standing in their section because they wanted the guardrails with the cup holder so they could stand and they didn't run the risk of falling forward, but they also didn't want to be impeded by seats. Yeah. So we created a safe standing section where seats lock in the upright position and our supporters have the room to roam and the freedom to dance and jump up and down and don't have to worry about getting, you know, hit in the back of the leg by the seat. And, you know, that has gone a long way with our most ardent fans because they know that not only did we listen, but we acted on it. And also, quite surprisingly, their second um, desire was to have their own bar above, really? above their section. So when we brought in Heineken as a partner, we got together with them again and designed their bar. So, um, you know, just a couple of elements where, you know, the folks that were there can always look back and say, look, I'm not just a fan. I helped build this club and I helped design this stadium. Which awesome. Is awesome. So was part of those discussions uh, with the fans, is that what led you guys to be uh, on the forefront of being a mobile first um, team, you know, where most of your things are done on your phone? You can do so much. Your phone is one of the more powerful sure. uh, tools when you walk into Bank of America, uh, Bank of California Stadium. Um, that almost that, did that come from box, Rob Crane? Uh, oh, Almost. Yeah. I, 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 I bit my tongue and I knew <laughs> that uh, I was in trouble. Um, but does that did those discussions from your fans lead you to becoming that mobile first? It, it, it was a combination of talking to our fans. But another benefit of having, you know, call it four years to figure out what you're going to be and what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. We had time to go out and visit, you know, pretty much any stadium on the planet that was either recently built and considered to be, you know, at the leading edge or the cutting edge of fan experience um, or buildings that were being constructed. So we were in Minneapolis, we were in Orlando, where they were building uh, a new soccer stadium. We were down in Mercedes-Benz, where you know the Falcons and Atlanta United were building their new stadium. And so it became clear both through talking to our fans, but also seeing what the newer venues were doing and where the experience was going, was that you know pretty much everybody, right? has a smartphone and they're living on it and they want to have an engaging experience and you know that that led to decisions about technology in the building and how awesome the wi-fi is in our building um and how we as you know we try and do everything from a digital perspective you know no paper tickets um, we've designed our own app, which is the main way that we communicate with our fans. Um, we, we were kind of big on Instagram in the beginning. That's, that's how we built our community, Instagram, Twitter. Um, so it definitely was based on a little bit of, we'll call it research and also just listening to, you know, what people, not only our fans, but fans everywhere want. It's awesome. That's really, really cool. You know, what else is cool. I also noticed too that you are a partner in Team Liquid, an esports team. Are 
I remember being in college and a million people watching us play Madden. Are esports the next? Is this going to be the fifth sport, the core four plus esports? Is this where this is going? How are they going to monetize? How are we going to make a business out of this? It seems white hot right now and crazy. Um, is this going to be forever? Or is this a fad? Oh, this is, you know, the interesting thing about it is it is massive, but it's been massive. And, you know, I'm someone who comes to the party late, got into Team Liquid Axiomatic uh, with Peter, through Peter. Um, but, you know, a couple of our owners at LAFC, Brandon Beck, who's one of our co-managing owners, and Mark Merrill, who's also one of our uh, more significant owners, the two of them founded a company called Riot Games out of their apartment in Hollywood. Um, really? And Riot Games, of course, brings the world League of Legends, uh, which is massive. You know, they do uh, a world championship event where they've sold out Staples, they've sold out Madison Square Garden, they've sold out venues all over the world. And the wild thing about it is not only are there, you know, 25 stark raving wild fans in the building, you have millions upon millions of people watching on live stream on the planet. You know, Brandon, when I first met him, shared with me a statistic that I will get wrong, but I'm definitely in, in the ballpark. He shared with me that something like north of 3% of the time spent globally by human beings on the internet is playing League of Legends. Holy Think about it. So, you know, I think esports is real, man. You have universities that are, um, you know, offering courses in esports. You've got the most successful entrepreneurs and business people on the planet investing. Um, you know, Ted Leonsis, uh, yeah. from, um, you know, the Capitals and the uh, Wizards, who, you know, is a co-founder of AOL, um, who's had a massive career and is involved in it. Peter's involved in it. Now you have the Golden State Warriors have a League of Legends team. I believe that the Cleveland Cavaliers have one. So it is not going away. I think What's interesting about it is that it's been out of the mainstream. Yeah. No pun intended, right? Huh. So you don't see it on ABC Sports. So do you, you think know, you will? Uh, I do. I look, I think it's like many other things in our society and around the globe when when the overwhelming majority of young people are in it sooner or later it it becomes part of it becomes socially relevant and it's part of the conversation and the the notion that you know when nintendo first came out and my wife and i were limiting the amount of time that our older son could play mario you know the first <laughs> mario game um to now live in a world where you could actually as a rational parent tell your kid to keep practicing because they could turn pro. It's no different than, you know, if you decide that your daughter just might be a great figure skater and you guys are getting up at 4.30 in the morning to take her for lessons, right? Crazy. If your kid is great at video games and it's a multitude of games, right? There are, there are competitions with real prize money. Um, and real careers to be had across a multitude of games. So I think it is here to stay. I think it will continue to grow uh, both in size and acceptance because it it is here and venues are being sold out and money is being made, careers are being made. There's coaches that, 
Team Liquid has a training center. I think it's an 8,000 square foot training center that was built by their corporate partner, Alienware, where the players, just like the LAFC players, go to a training facility every day to practice uh, that we built on the campus at Cal State LA. The Team Liquid players go to their training facility and, and work out and you know interact with their coaches on a daily basis. It is awesome. real, man. It's wild. And you can see the big bet that the NBA is putting in. Now they have a, sure. a NBA 2K League, and uh, it's it, I, it's growing like wildfire, and I'm definitely late to the party, but everyone keeps talking about it. It keeps getting bigger. There's a partner um, that we talked to, Becker College in Worcester, Massachusetts, that's on the forefront of uh e-gaming and it's yeah. uh it's pretty crazy yeah no look and uh mls mls interestingly enough you know generally speaking you will only play a game like nba 2k if you're an nba fan the inverse is found to be true about fifa the video game People play FIFA and then become MLS or other football fans. Wow. So MLS, a couple of years ago, started what's called EMLS. So the bulk of the teams have one or more gamers, players, um, who play FIFA in competition in a league against the players for the other clubs in the league. And in the global game of FIFA, you know, the winner of that competition gets an automatic bid to a larger global championship tournament. Um, it's real. And the number of eyeballs and impressions created by EMLS is massive. And you and I both know corporate partners love eyeballs and impressions. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. So one uh, one last question slash uh, yes, last sir. point. All right. So one of the advice, some of the advice that I give is go out and do. Nothing hurts if you go out and reach out to somebody, go talk to people. Yeah. You talked about it earlier that, yeah. uh, you know, it's about the job that you don't see on teamwork. I remember seeing a uh, an article on Ballpark Digest that the Scranton president left. And I decided to, through a connection, reach out to you, knowing that when I see that that the Scranton president was gone, that there was already a list of potential candidates. I was not on that list. So my question, or I was way at the bottom of the list. So why give me a chance on the phone? And what do you think people can learn uh, from that action of like, hey, I just reached out and say, hey, I'm, I'm interested. I think that the lesson to take away from that and some other examples that I could give is be bold. And we don't live in a world where you can sit back and wait for opportunity to come to you. And we're also in a world we were just talking about it with the phone, you know, again, because I'm a little bit older than you. I, I, I got out of school in a world where there were no cell phones. There was no email. Everyone did not have a computer on their desk. And you had to make and maintain relationships the old-fashioned way. I'd have to call you, Rob. <laughs> and you could always not pick up the phone, not return a call. You know, so it was hard. And... You had to be willing to accept that kind of very direct rejection, and that made it harder. But today, you've got LinkedIn, you can email, you can text, you can message, direct message on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And so what I always tell younger people who ask is go for it. You meet somebody, don't let them go. Right. Maybe. What's the worst that can happen? Right. The worst that can happen is they ignore you. And honestly, I always feel like, look, if, if, if I'm reaching out to somebody 
and they're not doing me the courtesy of acknowledging a message or engaging in a 15-second exchange on text or LinkedIn messaging or whatever, then I don't, that's probably not somebody that I'm going to ultimately either want to work with or interact with or hang out with, right? So you just have to, you, you, you be bold, take those actions, try and maintain those relationships, and you never know what might come from it. And by being bold like you were, you never know. You have absolutely nothing to lose other than the time you invested in putting together the communication that you sent over. And another great example of that is Rachel Cohn, who was a lawyer at the New York Yankees. She had been at a firm in Dallas and moved to New York when she got married because of her husband's career. And she took whatever job she could get to get in at the Yankees. And her plan was to get into legal work at the Yankees. So she took some other job and her first stop when she got to the Yankees was Lantros office. Lantros, the COO of the New York Yankees. And she introduced herself and explained that she had actually come from practicing law for three or four years at one of the big firms in Dallas. And if he ever needed any help, she'd be happy to help him. She would stay late, she'd work weekends, whatever he needed. And sure enough, in relatively short order, she's not doing the job she got hired to do. She's doing legal work for Lantros, the COO of the Yankees. Now, the odds were much greater that, you know, someone in Lon's position would have just said, yeah, 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 that's great. You know, that's not what you're here to do. Leave me alone. But you never find out until you try. And as you said, it's free. You have mostly nothing to lose. So being bold and making relationships, networking is real. Amen. It is real, right? Yeah, yeah right. And, you know, there are a number of examples of people here at LAFC who I crossed paths with at other times in my life who have now circled back and are working here. The head of ticketing here, Josh Young, I got connected to through Brent Stelic, and I met Brent when I first got to Mandalay Baseball in 2006, and he was the then COO down at the Frisco Rough Riders. And so, you know, again, that was, you know, 12 years went by before I reached out to Brent and said, look, we need a new head of ticketing. You got anybody in mind? Right? And that wasn't a job that got posted. Awesome. So, you know, Rob Crane, you are a shining example of why it is worth every unreturned message, unreturned call, unreturned text. Because if you throw enough out there, the odds get better that something's going to stick. And, you know, the beauty of it is that, you know, sort of like my drunken walk to where I am now in my career, you actually, from that experience, end up where you are now, where you're in the organization that you loved growing up, you're part of a great new stadium project that's gonna kick ass, and you guys are happy, you live in a nice place, got a family, so, you know, it, it, I can't encourage people enough to follow your lead and take those chances. Because if you don't take the chances, I can promise you that the phone isn't going to ring. <laughs> that's the just going to magically right. call you and say, hey, Rob, you don't know me. I'm <laughs> out to you, and I have this golden opportunity. Yeah, it really doesn't work that way. Working on the other end. doesn't work that way. 
Um, Larry, you've been a, a great mentor of mine and a, a great teacher for me uh, over the years. And uh, I'm so glad we we're able to connect. And uh, what you guys are doing in uh, LAFC and all your other stuff is just uh, is unbelievable. I know I've got to get out uh, to a match, uh, oh, a, football, yeah. a football match, and see this call to arms thing. It looks yeah. insane. And I love stuff like that. So it's like right up my alley. Come on down and look, man. Thanks for having me. Good luck with the project. And we are all watching you and super proud of what you've got going on. So thanks sure. for having me. Well, thank you very much, Larry. We'll, uh, I'll uh, talk to you soon. Take care.